Good evening. Can I ask you to uh, turn, please, to First uh, Kings and chapter 17. First Kings uh, 17. We're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 1 to, to verse 16. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook, by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a, woman, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as he was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Well, we looked at the context of uh, the book of First Kings, the context of, of in which um, Elijah ministers uh, last Sunday evening. We saw that uh, First and Second Kings were originally uh, one book. They tell the, uh, the history of Israel, the spiritual history of Israel, starting with uh, David's uh, death in chapter 2, um, and going through the life of Solomon, 
And even Solomon, the the great uh, man of wisdom, you could see the ways in which the downfall of Israel, um, the seeds of that were sown even in his life, such that after he died, the kingdom was divided into um, to, to Israel in the north and to Judah in the south. And the rest of the book tells the, the, the story of, of the people, and in particular the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, until uh, the people were exiled, first Israel, and then the people in the south, the people of Judah, and Jerusalem was destroyed. And the book answers uh, the question for the people in exile. How did this happen? Why did the exile happen? It answers the question um, that they would have asked themselves, is, is the God of our forefathers, is he powerful? Or are, they, uh, are the gods of the, the Babylonians uh, more powerful? How are we to uh, relate to the Babylonians in, in, in exile? And what is our relationship uh, with, with God. And there was a context, as we, we learned last week, for uh, Elijah's ministry. And we can see in, in verse uh, 30 of chapter 16, for example, it says there that um, Ahab, uh, the king, um, had done more evil than anyone who had come before him. It, it, it says that he married uh, Jezebel, a daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And he started to, to, to worship Baal. And such was uh, the, um, the, the influence of Ahab and of Jezebel, um, and such was the um, spiritual condition of the people. As we learned last week, the worship of Baal had effectively become uh, the state religion. In fact, when we get into to chapter 18, and to, to Mount Carmel, and we see the reaction of the people there, you can see the extent to which uh, they had fallen away from, from God and had turned uh, to worship uh, Baal. So in, verse, in chapter 17, and uh, verse 1, we see Elijah coming onto the scene, and we see Elijah making this, this announcement to King Ahab uh, that there would be no more rain and to accept uh, at his word. Now there's a verse in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, which I just want to to refer to um, just now. Um, We we looked at the passage in in Deuteronomy, uh, and again, it's uh, last week, and and the same point is being made in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, and verse 35. This is Solomon's prayer at the dedication of, of the temple. And we read there an explanation as to why it was that Elijah came and made this, this announcement. And this is Solomon's prayers. He's looking forward uh, to the years that would come, come ahead. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name, and turn from their sin when you afflict them. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk, and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So if you're 
as it were, an exile in Babylon, and you're looking back and you're trying to understand the spiritual history um, of Israel. Uh, Here is a verse that's given um, a part of of Solomon's prayer, where he's um, explaining why there was no more, why there was no rain um, in this time, and again, we'll see this you know, subs- subsequently in the book as well. But what I wanted to, to bring out there was not just the judgment, but the promise uh, of restoration um, also. You remember, again from last week, we were looking at uh, James chapter 5, and one of the things that we um, see there is, is the way in which... Um, where Elijah is described uh, as a man like us, as a man like you, uh, just a, a normal person with all of the kind of worries and doubts and frailties uh, of everyone else. We tend to think of these characters sometimes as being, you know, kind of super, built like Willie was talking this morning about about you know saints and how sometimes we get those that that idea so so mixed up. Just an ordinary person with ordinary um, fears and doubts. Uh, but it says there he prayed earnestly that there would be no rain. Uh, and so when we, we look in to First uh, Kings 17 verse 1, and he makes this announcement that there would be no rain, that what had preceded that was, was Elijah beseeching the Lord, praying earnestly that the Lord would bring that, uh, the absence of rain and the famine that would come on the people. And you think, why, why would he do that? And you see the answer to that in this passage from 1 Kings and the prayer of Solomon, that this was not just about judgment. It was about Elijah calling on God to do the very things that would would shake the people and bring the people uh, back to the Lord. Remember in in house groups when we were studying uh, Hosea, and in Hosea chapter chapter 1, and now that takes is taken from a part much later in in, in, um, Kings, in 2 Kings, around chapter 16, 18, around that kind of period. Uh, And we see there an explanation of what what had been happening even in in those times. The people were still um, worshipping worshipping Baal um, because they thought that that Baal would give them uh, prosperity, the the fertility god in in an agricultural society. You can imagine how how tempting that might might have been uh, for them. And we read in, in Hosea chapter 1, where the Lord um, is saying through Hosea, you know, I am the one who gives the rain. I am the one that makes the crops grow. And because the people were attributing that power uh, to an idol, to, to, to Baal, the Lord was going to demonstrate the truthfulness of, of the position by, again, withholding uh, the rain and, and causing the people to... Um, to, 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 to lose the things that they were attributing uh, to, their, to the false gods again so that they might return. That's a big theme in Hosea, isn't it? So graphically illustrated by the, the story of, of Hosea and his relationship with um, his unfaithful wife. Well, what, what about, about us? Because I suspect we're not, as we're prone to to have an idol, a wooden idol, or a, gold, a golden calf um, in the house. Um, but to what extent are we prone to depart from the way in which God has set out for us? 
To what extent do we think, maybe unconsciously, that rather than, as it were, faithfully following the instructions that the Lord has set out for us in his word, that if we sort of bend from that or depart from that, that we can secure for ourselves some material benefit or um, some advantage that we would not otherwise have got. Because when we think like that, even unconsciously, we start going into the very kind of mindset that the people had in, um, in, in, those, in those days. If we're tempted, as it were, to, to compromise our integrity and to, um, to, to, to bend the truth or to, or to lie, when we're tempted to be manipulative or to live our lives in any way in which we relate to each other, which is inconsistent with God's word, are we not, as we're maybe not consciously, but unconsciously falling into the very kind of ways of thinking uh, that led to uh, such disaster for God's people uh, all the way through uh, the book of, um, of First and Second Kings. And one of the great benefits of coming and reading this passage um, and the story of Elijah and being reminded is to, is to challenge ourselves and to correct um, and see if there's a way in which we are, are falling um, into that kind of, of thinking ourselves. A great reminder, too, of God's uh, sovereignty. Um, in this case, it demonstrated over, over um, Baal, but in so many uh, other ways. And, and we're going to be thinking primarily about God's provision for Elijah in the midst of all of, all of this confrontation uh, and opposition as he stands against you know, what was the in a human sense, the powers of the day of, of the king and all of his power, and, of, and against a, a people who had largely departed. Uh, so I want to, to think primarily about um, God's provision for Elijah in these um, verses that we read um, previously. But before uh, we go on to do that, um, I want to just think about uh, a couple of words, two words, that we find in, in this passage. And the first word is, is the word stand. And the second word is the word so. And I just want to, to kind of highlight those words uh, and just think about the way in which they um, demonstrated the trust that Elijah had and his obedience. And in doing so, to challenge ourselves to have the same mindset and perspective and heart uh, that Elijah had. And of course, these are not things which are sort of binary. These are things about the question for us is, to what extent is my heart fully devoted to the Lord? And how can I most honor the Lord uh, even, you know, more so um, than I do today? Where is my heart in all of this? Well, the first uh, word that I wanted to, to highlight just now is this word, uh, stand. Um, it's in the ESV in the New King James uh, in verse 1. In the NIV, um, it, it just refers to um, the Lord, the God of Israel, whom I serve. 
But as I say, in the, in the ESV, it, it's translated um, the God of Israel, before whom I stand. And of course, that, that has this picture of Isaiah standing attentively, waiting for the Lord's uh, command, waiting for the Lord's instruction, that he can act upon it uh, immediately. And, you know, therefore, the, the challenge comes to us, you know, does that describe the way in which we think about what the Lord would have for us, that we are, as it were, attentive and waiting, uh, ready immediately to, to, to respond? Or are there times when it would be more descriptive of us to say, the Lord, the God of Israel, before whom I sit, because I'm listening, but I'm, you know, maybe not quite as, you know, ready to spring into action. Uh, maybe it's more descriptive to say before the Lord, the God of Israel, before whom I'm snoozing. Uh, or maybe even it's the Lord, the God of Israel, um, and I'm not even before him. I've maybe kind of wandered off because there's something else that is taking up more of my my instructions. And, and so when I read this, this idea of standing ready for the instruction, ready to, to act, was one that, um, as was spoke to me and challenged, challenged me. But so did this word, so. And we see it, it twice. If I can refer you, to, uh, first of all, to, to verse 3. Now this is after... Uh, Elijah has delivered the message that he has so prayed that the Lord would, would send. The Lord, he prays, the Lord um, instructs uh, Elijah to go and deliver the message. He delivers the message. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the, in, in the brook Cherith or in the Cherith uh, ravine. Then verse 5. So he did what the Lord told him. And, and it's just the simplicity of that, that statement. Uh, I mean, it's not, as it were, a particularly difficult theological point to be drawing out. But it's an application to our own hearts. The Lord told him to do this, so he did it. We, we, we see exactly the same um, slightly further down in, in verse 8. So he'd gone, he'd been in the, the brook Cherith, and um, he, he'd been fed, and he'd drunk from the brook, and the brook had dried up. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and again, it's just the simplicity of it. The Lord told him to do it, so he did it. He didn't rationalize it. He didn't try and say, well, um, you know, the Lord wants to keep me safe. And so, so Zarephath is, it's really figurative language for a place of safety. And you know, I know that there's a place of safety in Shechem. So what the Lord tells me to go to Zarephath, what, what he really means is I should go to, to, to Shechem. I mean, he's not trying to do to that kind of thing. The Lord says, go to Zarephath, so he goes to Zarephath. And when I put it in those terms, it seems um, trite to try and you know, spiritualize it and rationalize it. 
But actually, is the truth of it not that when we read in the Scriptures something that Lord has told us to do, and it's clear and it's unambiguous, how often do we try and rationalize that and you know, try and bring in some other factors and maybe just not have that heart that we, have, we see here with Elijah of the Lord told him to do it, so he, he, he did it. When I, when I um, came to faith, there was a, a, a chap in the church who was, um, he used to say, you know, life is just very straightforward. You read the Bible and you do what it says. And it only becomes complicated when you depart from that. Now, I know life is more complicated than that, but there's a truth in the simplicity of that, is there, is there not? Let's think about God's provision here for Elijah's uh, physical needs for his uh, for his physical needs Elijah is a marked man at this point he has upset the, um, the, the king with all of his power um, he's upset um, the majority of, of, of people who are following uh, the Baals. And he needs uh, a place of safety, and he needs uh, water, uh, and he needs food. And, you know, again, it's, it's tempting to kind of read over um, these things and not realize just how serious the problem um, facing Elijah was in terms of just having the basics uh, to survive and yet we see the Lord uh, providing for him uh, first in the, in the brook Cherith and then in, in um, Zarephath providing uh, for, uh, for all of his needs and it made me think about um, you know, what, what does that, that mean for, for us today? You know, when, when we think about um, our, our needs, whatever those needs are, are we not tempted to uh, sometimes be anxious about, about what the future holds, um, to, be, to be worried, um, for things to, to kind of play, play on your mind? You know, when you, when you lie down, at night, and it's quiet. You know, think, there's certain things come to your mind, or when you wake up in the morning, you know, the first thought that you have. Sometimes it's, you know, it's the weight of of the unknown or or the uncertainty. Which is why, you know, I think it's so helpful to go back to this passage in the sermon on the mount that Mark read for us, because that passage is not really saying. Um, you know, the most important thing is to have these physical needs met and the way in which you do that is that you um, seek, um, seek God because if you do that, you'll get all of these needs met. 
Now, actually, what that passage is, is really saying is you need, first of all, to focus on the things which are of primary importance. You need to, to think about the things which are more important than uh, all other things. You need to think about your life, not just in terms of, of your physical life, but as well your spiritual life, your, your, your eternal life. You need to think about your relationship first and foremost with, with God and your service of God. Um, even as we were singing in one of, in one of um, uh, the hymns um, earlier on this evening. To be able to first seek his rule in our lives, in other words, to seek his kingdom practically um, in our own hearts, and to so reflect the character of God that we could be described as seeking after his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, first of all, as the things that are of primary importance, the things of greatest importance. And then all of the other needs that we have, the food and the clothes and, and anything else, important as they are, are but secondary matters. And the passage in Matthew 6 says, don't worry about these things, because God knows that you need them. And not only does God know that you need them, but God is your heavenly Father. With all of the, the richness of the language of God being our heavenly Father, the perfect heavenly Father that that involves, as the one who cares for us, who provides for us. So truly, as, as that passage starts, we can focus on our treasure being in heaven as a thing of primary focus and rest in the Lord's provision for us in all uh, other respects, even as Elijah learned um, when he was um, fed and he was, uh, had his material needs met. But actually the great thing about this passage is not so much that Elijah had his physical needs met, but perhaps the way in which those physical uh, needs were met, and that therefore the way in which the Lord provided, not just for the, in a material way, but uh, emotionally and spiritually. Because Elijah had just gone through what must have been emotionally and spiritually just a hugely draining experience. He'd stood up in front of the one who in an earthly sense had, had the power over, over his life and delivered a message that um, the king did, certainly didn't want uh, to hear. And Elijah needed a time when his uh, confidence in God's sovereignty would be built up and that he would be strengthened. And again, I think we've got to try and put ourselves in Elijah's uh, shoes and ask, how would I have felt in, in those circumstances? Uh, alone, uh, without the, the means to, um, to support himself. And it's easy for us because you know, we just kind of read to chapter 18 and chapter 19 and we find out what happened. But when this, uh, I mean, Elijah didn't have the benefit of reading chapters 18, 19, 20 when he was still in chapter uh, 17. 
Uh, and he didn't get to read Second Kings and find out what you know, happened ultimately to, to Jezebel. So the way in which the Lord uh, provided for him uh, was important in building uh, him back up and uh, ministering to him because of all that had gone on uh, before in, uh, in verse 1. But it was also important because Elijah had a further job to do. He needed to be prepared by God to take on chapter 18. He needed to be prepared uh, by God because he was going back to speak to Ahab again. And more than just speak to, to Ahab, we've got um, the, the confrontation in Mount uh, Carmel where all the prophets of Baal are, are gathered and the people of Israel are gathered for this great confrontation between, uh, between, the, God, between the God of, um, of their fathers uh, and the Baals and the pressure that, that, that he must have he would feel in those circumstances he needed to have the assurance that God would act in power in those circumstances. And so we have these uh, instances in the, in the scriptures of how the Lord um, met his needs, uh, first of all with the ravens, and then secondly, uh, the widow. And in both cases, the means by which God was going to provide for him was announced uh, beforehand. When he's first told to, to go to um, east of the Jordan, he is told that the ravens uh, would feed him. It says in verse 4, You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So when he arrives there, he knows what's going to happen. He's been promised, he's been told what's going to happen. And so he goes, and it happens just as the Lord had promised. And when he goes up to, to Zarephath, again, he's told in advance that, uh, the, that a widow has been commanded to supply him with food. Uh, and he arrives, uh, um, and this is just exactly, it happens just exactly as he would, was told it would. It, the means for, for this was announced to him uh, beforehand. Secondly, in neither of these cases were the means, as it were, the most obvious means for his uh, needs to be met. I mean, if you were thinking about how the needs were to be met, uh, ravens bringing bread and meat wouldn't be the most obvious way. Uh, but neither would going up to, to Zarephath for a widow to supply him with food. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily think that you know, someone who in that time was probably um, pretty um, poor herself would be the one that would supply. And more than that, if you, if you think about where Zarephath was, Zarephath of the Sidonians, it's, it's further north, it's in Gentile country, it's out with the borders of Israel. And it's further up, as it were, if you think where Damascus is, and then go off to the coast, you get Sidon, and seven miles south you have Zarephath. Now, where have we seen just recently a reference to um, Sidon? Well, we saw it in uh, chapter 16 because the king of the Sidonians is Jezebel's dad. So this is going right into the heart of Baal country. This is 
you know, Jezebel is down creating all of the trouble in Israel. He's going to be protected and provided with food right in the center of Baal country. So these were not the most obvious places for him to go and the most obvious ways in which uh, he would be provided for. But they do demonstrate God's uh, power. They also demonstrate God's direction in both cases. That even, as it were, the birds could be commanded and directed uh, by God um, to, to provide. And similarly with the, the widow that the Lord had um, prepared her heart in advance so that when he arrived and he made this request, despite the fact that she had nothing and she was on the verge of starvation and her son was on the verge of starvation, that she still was willing to provide for him. And when we think about the instruction that was given, he was to go up to, to Zarephath where, and he was to find a widow I mean, imagine how you think you're know, just going to this place and you don't know anyone there and you're just going to find someone, this widow, in amongst all of these people. And of course you think, what happens if I get the wrong one? You, know, you announce you're going there, prophet of God in the middle of Baal country. And yet the Lord directed Elijah so that he went to the right person whose heart had previously been prepared to, to provide uh, for him, and in, and in that sense, it's a bit like we were learning with the kids uh, this morning about the way in which Abraham's servant went up to to find um, a wife for for his for his son. You think, and yet the Lord was directing the servant to uh, to the right the right persons. Um, and and lastly, both in both cases we see God's faithfulness over a period to continue to provide uh, for, for Elijah. The ravens brought the food in the morning and then they returned in the evening. It wasn't, as it were, as if the ravens came and provided a week's supply to him. They came and they provided enough and when that ran out, they provided uh, more. A bit reminiscent, actually, of uh, in the wilderness and the manna and the way in which the manna was given each, each day and if the people tried to, to store it up for the next day it would, it would, um, it would spoil. And similarly with the, the widow because it doesn't say that you know, the widow had a, you know, as it were, a cupboard full of flour and oil that they just drew down from the supply and it was all there and once it was um, finished, he, he went back in chapter 18 to see, to confront Ahab. No, the, um, they started off with hardly any flour and hardly any oil, and yet the Lord just kept uh, replenishing it, um, it for them. So how about for us? As we think about the way in which the Lord uh, provided uh, emotionally and, and spiritually. Well, just as in Matthew 6, 
it says that our Heavenly Father knows uh, the physical needs that we have. And he knows what we need. So also he knows our spiritual needs. He knows um, our emotional needs. And he will provide uh, those also. There was one, one verse I wanted just to, um, to, to refer to. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter, ver- uh, chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. Because, I mean, the Lord will provide for us uh, spiritually in a, in, a, in, a, in a variety of ways uh, through encouraging us um, with promises in, in his word. Um, but I just found 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 5, um, 5 through 7, just such a helpful verse as I, as I thought about, about this. So here is Paul, um, the great apostle, the great evangelist. And he says, when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So here is Paul and he's, um, he's in need of encouragement, fears within. And then it says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So here's the the way in which, I mean, just one of the ways, but but the Lord sends Titus to be an encouragement to Paul in the midst of all of the fears that he had within. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. So Titus comes, comes alongside the Lord, encourages Paul through Titus. Not only that, Titus brings news of the concern um, of, of others for him. And so it's just, it's just one way. But let us, in the things that we go through, look for the Lord's comfort, not just in the promises of his word, but in the uh, support uh, of, of his people, of another Christian. And perhaps even more than that, that we might seek to be the one who brings that comfort, that we, as it were, might comfort others with the comfort that we have ourselves um, received. And then just finally, as uh, think about the practical application of this, is to think of the way in which the Lord um, equips his people. In, in, in this case, we have Elijah being uh, built up and equipped for uh, all that's going to go on in, in, in chapter 18. But similarly for ourselves, that the Lord would maybe lay on your heart something to do for him. And then when you look back, you can see ways in which the Lord has so moved the circumstances of your life, so put you through various experiences in your life, so given you influences from other people in your life, that actually when you look back, you see the way in which he has equipped you to do um, what he has called you to do. And perhaps an encouragement there as well that um, if you have been called uh, to do something, you really feel in your heart that the Lord would would um, have you do something, 
the knowledge, too, that if the Lord has laid that upon your heart and um, you're, you're sure of that, that you can expect also um, his, his equipping. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the provision that you make day by day for all of our needs. We praise you as our loving Heavenly Father, perfect Father, who knows all the needs that we have and meets those needs. And we thank you that you don't just meet our physical needs, but you make provision for us uh, spiritually from your word and through being able to gather with other Christians the way in which you provide for us through the fellowship of of other believers. In a myriad of different ways, we thank you, Lord, that we can rest in that knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen.